Mornington trainer Tony Noonan had his heart set on becoming a horse trainer from about age six. Racing people abounded over several generations on his mother's side of the family and many of them would gather on Sundays at the Noonan household for lunch. The conversation rarely diverted from racing and Tony slowly but surely developed a fascination for the sport and the people who make it tick. He was 18 and very anxious to learn the ropes when he met a trainer called Quinton Scott, who had a team of 40 horses in work at Benalla. And here, Tony spent two years learning the fundamentals of horse management from a very experienced and astute horseman. It was Quinton Scott who suggested that Tony should return to his deferred uni degree in teaching and establish a career before he worried too much about horses. Tony got that degree, started off teaching in a primary school at East Brunswick before uh, gaining an appointment at the famous Assumption College at Kilmore. He dreamed of making a start in racing and was quick to respond when a friend of his mother's invited him to hobby train a little mare called Spanish Echo. Tony Noonan, have I got that right so far? John, you're brilliant. (laughs) Mate, uh, Spanish Echo, not the best horse you've ever trained, but one of the most important. It's amazing, John, uh, um, when you look back and uh, until I spoke with you the other day, just reminiscing over the career, uh, you lose you lose sight of those horses. But, yeah, very important Spanish Echo. If it wasn't for her, uh, we wouldn't be talking today. Well, that was 36 years ago. You've come a long way. It's been a, just an absolute incredible journey, John. You know, if, as, as you mentioned there, from the age of six, I dreamt about being a race horse trainer. I couldn't get enough of it as a kid going to the races with blokes like Angus Armanasco, Tommy Smith, Bart Cummings, Colin Hayes, just incredible trainers. And uh, they'd pack me off to Mooney Valley, to every Mooney Valley meeting. We lived locally. Uh, So to uh, actually get involved and and have some success out of something that you dream about is just privileged. Mm. Just for the record, that first win as a trainer – occurred at Waraknabil on the 17th of December, 1983. Yeah, yeah, a while ago, Johnny. You're showing your New South Welshmanship there too. It's Waraknabil to us Victorians. I'll beg your pardon. Yeah, haven't ventured back there too many times, but uh, it was the... uh, it was the start of a career. I can imagine heading up the highway with an old Ford and uh, a single horse float with no roof on it. So uh, she was pretty basic in those days, but we got the job done. Mm. Quinton Scott, who we (laughs) mentioned earlier, has remained your great friend and your great advisor, and he actually came to work for you not too many years ago. Yeah, I thought thought I'd return the uh, favour in that sense, John, but, you know, Quinny was born – he's born and bred a horseman. They don't make him like he is. And I thought, you know, he just got to a point in his career where uh, I thought he'd be better with me, giving me a hand, we could work together. But uh, he's a trainer, he's born a trainer and he'll die a trainer and uh, I could see it wasn't going to work and I didn't want it to affect our friendship. So uh, 
Mm. He's down at Royal Caroit now with a team of about 10 horses with his wife, Barbara. They do a terrific job down there and uh, we speak every week and uh, just blessed to have a, a mate like him. Well, after Spanish <coughs> Echo won that maiden at Warwick Nabil, there was no stopping you and before long you had five horses in work. Now, you were still teaching, so you had to work them in the pitch black dark and be in the classroom by 8.30 for morning prayers. Yeah, when I look back, John, you know, uh, it was a balancing act, but I was just, you know, like, uh, just so lucky. There are so many aspects of my career and my life where things have just fallen into place, and the position assumption was just a brilliant one for me. The brothers there were terrific. They were they were aware of the fact that I was very keen about my training. Um, it was a very sports-orientated school, and it was um, – expected upon you that you'd take a sport uh, for the kids there and because of my interest in horses that meant that I was terribly limited. I couldn't coach footy or athletics because it was too time consuming but there was a little window of opportunity for squash on a Sunday morning. The boarders would be, they'd have mass on Sunday morning and then have nothing to do for the rest of the day so I, uh, there's a local squash court there at Kilmore I pitched it in the morning. We started off with about five kids and we ended up with about 100 kids playing squash. So <laughs> uh, that was my contribution to sport. That assumption it won't make the great heights of the footballers or the cricketers, but uh, <laughs> it was a great school. And it was just a, you know, I was just newly married, lived in Kilmore. It was a terrific area to cut my teeth in. Uh, it was just a lot of fun. You had your little team stabled in the heart of trotting country. Now, on one side, you had Carlo Dwyer, the eminent trotting farrier, and on the other side, Stephen Dove, who was a member of a legendary harness family. You must have been looked upon as an alien with those thoroughbreds in there. Yeah, they weren't too impressed, John. Uh, <laughs> it, Kilmore had been steeped in trotting all its time, and Quinny Scott moved there from Benalla, and that's how I ended up getting there. I followed Quinny there, which worked really well because by that stage I'd gone back to my studies. Mm. I was working part-time at the Gladstone Park pub, uh, which was about a half an hour drive from Kilmore. So I'd I'd study during the week, work at the pub Thursday, Friday nights, and then after the, after closing on a Friday night, travel to Kilmore to be at work Saturday morning. So uh, my opportunities came out of Kilmore. And so to be able to do the teaching and uh, and to cut my teeth as far as training was just a brilliant spot. And those trotting boys, they were fantastic. You know, it just, you know, as you understand, John, you know, they're, they're the real workers. They just go night and day. And uh, what I learned there was you just couldn't buy that experience. Your wife, Gabrielle, was also a school teacher and was expecting the first of your four <coughs> children when you made the announcement that you wanted to become a full-time horse trainer. What did she say? <coughs> like in most things, John, <coughs> uh, she's always said yes. Yeah. Uh, just incredible. You know, when I uh, looked back and thought of the sacrifices that she's made for for my career, uh, I wouldn't be I, w- I wouldn't be anywhere. You know, I've got she. We're still together. I've tried to get rid of her. She won't go. <laughs> uh, she's produced four just absolutely magnificent children that haven't given me a day's worry in my life. Mm. 
Mm. Um, we shifted to Mornington, which was the greatest move we ever made. You know, it's just been yes, yes, yes. And, uh, mm. you know, gee, how lucky could I be finding a, not only a good type, but uh, she's got a good disposition with it. So, no, very lucky man. Yeah. Well, that was 28 years ago, Tony, when you and Gabrielle made the move to Mornington. You bought a lovely little five-acre block called Greendale. Now, did it have that name or did you bestow that name upon it? That was the original name, Johnny. It had changed names a couple of times with ownership, but we went back to the original. Now, mate, it's it's a great training base today. <coughs> and what is the composition of the property? What have you got there? Well, it was a very old property. That's what it probably appealed to me. Uh, a lot of trees. Um, we've developed it over a period of time, but we've basically got uh, room for 50 horses. We can box 50 and we've got individual yards for 50. Uh, I live on the premises, which has been a positive and a negative over the years, but uh, uh, we can, as I said, we can box 50. We've got pretty self-sufficient. We've got our walker, pool, swimming pool, treadmill uh it's been just it's 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 elevated enough john that there's always a nice breeze off the sea it never gets too hot there it doesn't get too cold in winter i'm 700 meters from the track so we we walk and to and from the track so it's just been just a lovely place to train out of horses do extremely well it's very relaxed uh, once again, you know, just Gabriel found it. We were down holidaying with our youngest Senate or our only child and Tom at that point and she found it advertised in a in a newspaper, local newspaper and mm. went about inquiring and then said, well, uh, we might be able to buy something like this, which was at that point an absolute dream, thinking that we could train out of a property like that. So, uh, uh Good decision on her behalf. She's the, she's the brains behind it all, Johnny. I just turn up, but she uh, it was you know it's been a beautiful property to not only train horses but to live and and bring up our four kids. Mm. Tony, I've been <coughs> listening to this lavish praise for Gabrielle, and it just occurred to me I know a lot of married men who would rate you a Group One crawler. <laughs> I don't know about that, John. I like it. <laughs> People get confused between that and telling the truth. I like telling the truth. <laughs> yeah, that's true. A tone of Bonnie Mare called Bionic Bess was the horse to launch your career. Seven wins, 14 <clears throat> placings. She won the Group 3 Tristark. She was placed in several Group 2s and Group 3s. And do you know she ran in eight Group 1s? She ran second in the Coolmore Classic one year to chlorophyll. Yeah, once again, Johnny, you know, you, when you look back, you just think, Jesus, how did I fall into that? And I was at an Adelaide sale and uh, what ended up a very good mate in Des Ryan uh, bred the filly. And um, uh, I'm not sure accurately whether she was sold or, I, you know, she was sold at that sale. And then Des recommended me to train the mare. I was, she was by a stand called Best of Bruges, which no one probably remembers or heard of at that point or still remembers now. But, oh, what a good mare. Uh, just, as I said, in the right, you know, so many times, John, it's about opportunity and being in the right place at the right time. You like to think that you're smart enough to manage yourself getting there but in a lot of ways it's just you know it's good fortune and uh, I met Des and Des was good enough to kick up for me to 
trained the filly and <clears throat> as you said, yeah, what a bloody bonny filly. You know, she was just yeah. a good, tough filly. Won a maiden at Kilmore mm. and then, as you said, uh, ran second in the Coolmore, I think, once or twice and mm. just over a period of time, over three or four years, it was just turned up and done the job. Yeah. Well, a passionate owner breeder called Jonathan Munns made a tremendous contribution to your stable for the first seven years of your Mornington career. You won a lot of races for Jonathan. One of the winners was Show No Emotion, who you maintain was the best horse you've ever trained. Yeah, John. Just uh, Jonathan came on at a time through uh, through a mutual friend in Chris Biggins. Chris had a share in Superimpose and was a real passionate race goer and, and uh, he'd known Jonathan for a number of years and introduced me and recommended me to get a couple of horses uh, which started, you know, just a brilliant association. You know, he was uh, just incredible as far as the faith uh, that he had in our operation and my ability and uh, uh, we just had a terrific ride there for about seven years. It was just uh, brilliant. It just it, You just couldn't imagine both of us uh, were just new basically new to the game and, and the levels and the heights that we got to uh, together with, was just a highlight of my career. Just going back to show no emotion, he won a Group 2 Ascot Vale. He won the Angus Brute at Morfordville, a Group 2. He won the Churnside Stakes, a Group 2. He won the Moyer Stakes, a Group 2. He ran third in the Lightning, Group 1, and I can recall his running a cracking fourth in the Stradbroke one day. Yeah, and a lot of that, John, was at, at his three-year-old career, his two- and three-year-old career. He was, he was, as I said, he probably, you know, he never reached the heights that I think that he was destined to get to. Uh, injury cut that short, but just a brilliant horse. He won the Ascot Vale, I think, at his third start, which is now the Coolmore. Uh, and then uh, I think his other brilliant win, he beat General Nadim and the Moira on Cox Plate Day. He just absolutely bolted in that day. And at that stage... He was really on the verge of becoming something very, very good. He sustained just the the smallest of little injuries. He got uh, he had a crack in the sole of his foot. Mm. He was out in the yard just in front of my office at home, mm. so I could keep an eye on him all the time. And I just saw one afternoon after the Moya, I think it was the following day. He just turned awkwardly, and you know you rush out, and mm. he had a bit of heat in the foot, and um, he'd sustained an infection. He just got a you know, just a grain of sand in the in this crack mm. was infected, uh, and just the timing of it meant that he couldn't go to the Salinger on on Cup Week, and we decided to, uh, you know, just give him that little bit of extra time and Mr. Spring and came back, and I think first run back he, he uh, injured the uh, injured his knee, so uh, you know we struggled then from that point on. But at that point he was he was really on the verge to becoming. You know, a Group One performer at the you know at the highest level. My special guest on the podcast is Tony Noonan, very respected Victorian trainer. We're going to pause for just a moment, Tony, and back with you after this break. Monday, April 8th until Wednesday, April 10, 2019 are the dates for the Inglis Australian Easter Yearling Sale, the most important and influential yearling sale in this part of the world. 
While the final catalogue isn't released until January, it's shaping to be one of the best ever. There's a three-quarter brother to the Autumn Sun, a full brother to Merchant Navy, a half-brother to Shoals, a full brother to Brazen Bow, a three-quarter brother to Lankan Rupee, a full sister to John Snow, a half-brother to Unforgotten, a half-sister to Catchy, a half-brother to Dundeal, a half-brother to I Victory, a half-sister to She Will Reign, a three-quarter brother to Seamus Award, and a half-brother to Pino. Stallions with progeny in the sale are Schnitzel, Fastnet Rock, I Am Invincible, Reduce Choice, Sebring, Piero, and Written Tycoon. There's a strong international flavour with sires like Lord Canaloa, Deep Impact, Frankel and Tappet. There are 42 siblings to Group 1 winners and the progeny of 35 Group 1 winning mares. The preview magazine is available now and the final catalogue will be out in January. My guest is Tony Noonan. Tony, Without a doubt, the most devastating low of your career came when you and Jonathan Munns decided to terminate your arrangement after seven very, very rewarding years. And when the split came, 30 horses left your place in one painful manoeuvre and you were left pretty much an emotional wreck. Yeah, it was, it was a tough day looking back, John. Uh, I can laugh about it now because, uh, you know, fortunately things improved. I don't know if I'd be laughing if it hadn't improved. But, no, it was, a, it was a really tough time. It wasn't, you know, at the time, as you said, it was, it was devastating, but it was, you know, to put it in perspective, you know, other people have more devastating news than losing 30 horses. But as far as your profession was concerned and the effect that, you know, he was able to have on, on my career, it was a it was a tough time, and uh, but you know, uh, as I said, John, you look back now. Uh, it took a while to get over it, but uh, fortunately, we had some good people around us, good family, and still a lot of people that were happy to support us. And we, you know, as I said, uh, we were lucky enough to have a stroke of luck coming out of it. Well, it was a long rebuilding process in which you were supported, as you said, by some special people, and one of them was Peter McMahon, who was a banker with an unbridled passion for racing. Yeah, good combination, Johnny, uh, that passion <laughs> for racing and, and, uh, and some a banker. Kanger, what yeah, a quinella. in the bank. Yeah, <laughs> it was very good. I was lucky enough, uh, you know, it's hard to kick at any point in time for a young trainer or a trainer of any age without that support. You've got to have, you know, really good owners that can go in and, uh, you know, confidently support you and uh, Jonathan was exceptional uh, and then as I said when when he moved on uh, Peter came into not not anywhere near to the same level but uh, was terribly supportive and, and probably more importantly was um, yeah loved the challenge of racing uh, we were we ended up in, in under his association we we ended up buying yearlings out of England raced horses in Dubai. He loved the challenge of it. And uh, once again, he was one of those people, a bit like Gabriel, my wife, who was happy to say yes to some of the ridiculous uh, options I put before him. But uh, we had just a tremendous time. Well, I think Pia Vonig deserves a special section in your scrapbook 
and a special place in this podcast. A bay or brown mare by Scenic. She finished racing now 16 or 17 years ago. After winning nine races, 10 placings, $629,000. A lot of money 16 or 17 years ago. But the big one, Tony, was the Group 1 Manicato Stakes with Nash Rewilla on board. Oh, I'll never forget it, John, uh, being yeah, Group 1, and uh, I think it was about 41 at that stage. So we we'd, uh, we were just um, we were just on a roll as far as the success in the team was concerned, and we were, we were young. Uh, in those days, that was still looked upon as young, 41. Um, but I'll never forget that day. And it, it brought together uh, John Thatcher, who'd bred the mayor, uh, and bred a lot of that family. I trained a lot of winners out of that family. In fact, I've just looked at a, a little filly here today by Headwater out of Balsenica, who I trained out of that family. Mm. John was a, a local uh, peninsula lad down at Mornington, lucky enough that he uh, fell across my path and once again had enormous confidence in us and we had tremendous success. But that little mare, she was oh, a tough mare, difficult to train, um, I can remember her throwing herself over the bonnet of a parked car in the driveway one day on the way out to the track. She mm. uh, she did the same thing in a mounting yard at Caulfield one day, just terribly temperamental, but took a little bit of time to mature. Yeah. I think she won that group one at six, but uh, when she did, at that stage, she was really on fire, that mare, and she, uh, you know, what made it so important was that she beat Sunline that day and... Uh, having Nash in the saddle, uh, Johnny and Vern Jones, who raced the mare together. Uh, it was a pretty special day. Now, I think she won, uh, apart from that Manicato stake, she won a Group 2, the car line, and uh, she won a listed race at Caulfield. So overall, it was a terrific record, Tony, but the best barometer is that amount of prize money so long ago, six hundred, nearly 630000 yeah, it'd be worth it. I would like another one like it, Johnny, right <laughs> at this present point in time. But uh, look, I think it was where her success came about. It was a slow maturing family. John and Vern were pretty aware of that fact and were patient people. Uh, if we'd rushed that mare any earlier, she would never have reached those heights. So it was a, a good example that, you know, some of these horses take a bit of time and you've just got to work with them. And she was still winning races, but not to the to the level that she got to. Uh, yeah, I suppose it's not a similar thing, but you look at the story of Winx, John, I'm sure, uh, when Chris took her to the Sunshine Coast to win a, a, a listed race up there, he wasn't thinking about winning that many Cox plates. So horses develop, with, you know, they strengthen and they mentally and physically get more stronger and confident and they can, you know, some of them can grow into something that you would never have thought they would have achieved, you know, early doors. You've trained some lovely mares over the years, and here's another one, M. Loza. She was lightly raced, only had 14 starts. She won five of them. She won a Group 3 at Caulfield with Darren Biedman on board, and she won a Group 3 in Adelaide, a good race, the Dermody Stakes. Yeah, great little filly buying Costa de Lago out of that family of Piavonic, John Thatcher again, uh, just uh, came at you know, her, her significance was enormous, John, because it wasn't within weeks of uh, losing Jonathan's support. Uh, we had her in 
at uh, Caulfield over the carnival there. And uh, you can imagine after after the split being so public, I was really concerned that you know we would we would just fall away from that point. Not that you know we were giving up, but the reality was that. Once uh, you've been moved on by a prominent person in in Jonathan, mm. um, publicly it it doesn't all go well. And as I said, we were lucky; we had really good support. This little filly came along, as I said, weeks later and won a, a group race at Caulfield with Dee Beadman on board. And I can imagine driving home that night thinking, "Well, we're still a chance." And uh, but you know, you, if that hadn't happened at that stage, you don't know what the future would have been. So. Uh, yeah, once again, we were lucky enough to have her there to do the job. Tony, I've just made an executive decision. We're going to do this interview in two parts. So we're coming to the end of part one. Uh, when we return with part two, we'll be talking about more good horses that Tony Noonan has had through his hands over the years, some wonderful jockeys with whom he's had an association, his son, Jake, uh, who was able to almost walk away from a terrible fall at Flemington not too long ago. His recovery has been tremendous and he's back riding better than ever. And we also talk with Tony about a very nice horse he has in training currently. Back with Tony Noonan shortly in part two. The 2019 English Premier Yearling Sale will be held at Oaklands Junction in Melbourne where 786 lots have been catalogued for four days of selling between the 3rd and the 6th of March. The Premier Sale has produced some of Australia's best performers in the last year, including Group 1 winning two-year-olds written by and Seabrook, four-time Group 1 winner Santa Anna Lane and the exciting three-year-old Ring-a-Ding-Ding. The 2019 Premier Catalogue is bursting with quality and features siblings to 73 stakes winners and eight Group 1 winners, including Boom Time, Shocking, Pinker Pinker and Seabrook. The sale will be held at a new look Oaklands complex, which is undergoing an $8 million refurbishment, making it one of the best auction houses in the world. The dates again, March 3rd to March 6th, and catalogues are available online at english.com.au or in hard copy for the 2019 Premier Yearling Sale. <laughs> 